Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FP&A leaders and planning experts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Planful. Uh, today, it's uh, my pleasure to introduce you to Anders Lou Lindberg uh, from the Business Partnering Institute. Welcome, Anders. Well, thanks for having me, Rowan. I really look forward to this uh, this conversation here and maybe breaking new grounds on uh, some topic that uh, finance folks are talking a lot about these uh, these times, but maybe looking at it from a different angle. So very excited to, to be here today. Yeah, so when the topic of uh, ESG comes up, uh, which is our topic for today, uh, some people I see when I talk to them, they roll their eyes uh, <laughs> and they're like, oh, what is this? Do we really have to do this? So uh, I guess my first question is, um, what is ESG in your eyes and how does it impact the, the office of the CFO? So ESG in, in my eyes is really a broader way to look at how pretty much anyone, but also companies, of course, at large impact the world that we live in, right? So it's, it's basically not just looking at your company from a narrow perspective of, hey, you know, we, we have some business we need to do, we have some shareholders we need to, to pay, but actually what we do impacts the world, but also gives us an opportunity to impact the world, right? So it doesn't just have to be, be, uh, be negative, uh, but it's, it's really just trying to broaden the way we look at our business and considering a lot more factors, right? You know, you talk about double, triple, quadruple, bottom line, all these terms, I'm sure many of the listeners have heard about as well. But to me, it's just really broadening the perspective on how we impact the, impact the world really around us. Um, and of course, you could go into lengthy discussion about each of the E and the, and the S and, and the G, but you know, that's, that's when it gets a bit too much into the, into the weeds. So I think let's, let's try to stick with the more holistic uh, view on things here. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. I, I, I do think the, you know, there's some sig significant kind of macro uh, change that's happening in the world of, of ESG. I, I think, you know, for a long time, every, uh, some companies um, have thought about the way that they impact the world. Um, Patagonia probably being one of the better examples out there. And, um, you know, so so now there's regulation that's kind of being imposed on companies as to how they need to think about ESG. And, and, and maybe it's not how they need to think about it, but what they need to disclose about what they're doing about it. Can you talk a little bit about um, what is happening in that kind of macro environment? Yeah. So, so obviously I guess there, there's two parts to it, right? There's what's happening in the world in general, right? Where, uh, of course, lots of things are, are hitting us all the time, right? You know, it's, it's called the world of next normal and not, you know, when does yep. normal come back? Because normal never really comes back, right? So there's lots of things hitting us, but I think the 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 climate agenda and the, you know, are we behaving in the right way agenda? And that can be expanded to many different things, right? Everything from, from me too, to how uh, companies are basically acting uh, with, with the society around them, right? So there's all these trends that are saying, hey, you know, now we've, I guess, reached a certain stage as humanity, we could even say. And uh, that means we need to, to act in, in different ways because there's not enough resources to go around if we continue to, to do the things the way, we, the way we do. And I, I try not to come at this at a kind of a climate activist point of view, but more saying, okay, you know, you're in a company, you're doing business in some sort of way. Is that 
is that a good way of, of doing business? Does that actually, let's say, leave a positive imprint on, on the world? Or are you just taking, taking, taking? That that is kind of not not sustainable, right? So that's that's kind of the the the, the macro aspect of it. And if you then bring it into the to the office of the CFO, you said it yourself, right? There's a lot of rules and regulations and what we need to disclose that's hitting the office of the CFO. And you know, if if that's the only way we look at it, you know, it becomes a reporting and compliance exercise. So I think really for the office of the CFO, yes, those things are hitting us, and it's hitting us because companies haven't done it right companies haven't done the right thing if you can say like that for for too long so 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 now you know regulators feel the need to say okay let's let's see what you're actually doing right it's fine mm -hmm. to have a policy that's documented but are you actually doing something about it that's why the rules and regulations are are hitting us but it has to be about the first agenda right it has to be about office of the cfo and of course other stakeholders in the company as well saying, okay, how can we leave a positive imprint on the world while still having a profitable business? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have a profitable business, then you know we're going to be out of business and it doesn't really matter. So how can profitable businesses coexist with leaving a positive imprint in the world? I think those two things need to come together. And that's where the office of the CFO can play a huge role that I don't see it fulfilling today. Yeah, I think, you know, the as I think about that kind of broader impact, right. And, and what you said about the, you know, kind of the normal, the next normal world, uh, you know, we're holding ourselves to a different standard, right. We're, we're accountable to a standard that um, is higher than it historically was. Um, and, you know, that's because, as you said, you know, we're getting smarter or more evolved or whatever it may be. And, uh, and so then, you know, as we're holding ourselves to, to that new standard, obviously regulators have come in and said, well, how do we hold that uh, into kind of into the corporate world? How do we hold those folks to a new standard? And there's an intention around that, which is, okay, to your point, these businesses still want to be profitable, but we're not going to allow them to do that. Well, maybe they can still do that within the government, you know, confines of, of whatever they're regulated to. But now we're holding them to an accounting standard where they have to disclose what they're doing. And so that intention is there to kind of try and uh, help those businesses move forward based on the disclosures that they need to go and create. What, um, what impact does that have right now on the office of the CFO and, and how are they, yeah, it's not like uh, everyone's sitting around going, do you know what? I need more work in my job. Uh, and I'd love to do, uh, I'd love to do more disclosure reporting around something that I may not have the data for. So, so what's mm. the actual real world impact to, to generally under-resourced teams. It's it's just increasing the stress that the office of the CFO is feeling, right? I mean, we're coming out of pandemic where, I don't know about other functions, but at least the office of the CFO, they were busier than, than ever just trying to grasp a straw of visibility into, into what's happening. And they were completely overworked, right? Uh, and had to do it from home with probably limited technology, at least in, in, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And now we come out of, uh, of this and then, you know, new stuff keeps hitting us. But of course, when it talks about rules and regulations and disclosures, that hits the office of CFO more than anyone else. You spoke about the, 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 the data there, and it's not like most finance teams had great data to begin with from their normal business operations. Yes. Right? And now they need to go out and collect some hardcore measures like, you know, how much 
electricity they use and you know fuel consumption if they're if they have, they have fuel you know so some hard metrics but probably still not readily available and then a lot of softer metrics that were already difficult to uh, to to get so it's it's just a long list of things that needs to be disclosed that we don't have in hand and we need to figure out where to get from and we need to uh, you know, persuade probably people outside finance to help us get this data, and they weren't probably really willing to give us a lot of data already beforehand, right? So it's it's really adding a lot of pressure on the office of the CFO. And I I'm not saying we 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 don't need it, right? Because we we need to actually you know stand by our commitments to do what says in our policies, and then actually disclose that we are doing it. But it's 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 a the negative spiral of more rules, regulations, compliance, disclosure work that to most finance professionals today feels very non-value adding. Mm -hmm. I think we've saw that through the pandemic as well, right? Those companies that just added more work on top of people because they lack the tools or the data or whatever it might be, people are now leaving those companies and they've been leaving those companies for, for a few years. You know, we talked about the greater resignation and other, other trends. Whereas now we get into a, to a downturn, so maybe it's, I don't know, the table are turning again, right? But if if that's all the finance function or the office of the CFO is about, it's just not fun working there. We're going to yes. see talent shortages. We already see them. It's 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 a, I won't call it a death spiral, but it's definitely a negative spiral, right? And we need yes. to find a way to step out of that while still, of course, being compliant with, you know, the disclosures we need to, to give. So you said, you know, we need to find a way to step out of that. So uh, this is kind of a two-part question. What do you see as the current state, right? And and I know it's probably a broad spectrum, but but in, you know, you, you consult with hundreds of companies. What would you say is the current state in, within the office of CFO? And what's the ideal state in the next 18 to 24 months? Because I, I don't think we can forecast beyond that right now. Now, I think I think the the current state is that the office of CFO is is overworked and has struggled for for years to really create meaningful progress within the the transformation space. That that you know, if you look at a finance transformation plan from five years ago compared to that one of today, they're pretty similar. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying no progress have been made, but it's 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 struggling to really make progress. Same time, you see the tenure of the CFOs go down, right? So if you make a finance transformation plan or a vision the last three to five years, there's a high likelihood that the CFO is, is going to be gone before that even sees the halfway stage, right? So it's uh, it's it, it's tough out there. I'm not saying good things are not happening because of course they are, but it's 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 really figuring out, okay, you know, how can I step out of the negative spiral and start doing something positive? from the office of the CFO, not having to leave the office of the CFO completely. So I think that's that's a bit where we are today. And of course, some companies are doing great. Most finance teams, though, they are, they are struggling. And one of the main reasons, of course, is also that they spend so much time just working with the data. And with the new rules and regulation coming in with the ESG and everything else, there's just more data headaches, right? So the data headaches, they, are, they need to be solved in some sort of way. We need to have a more positive, I won't even call it a spin because it shouldn't be spinning. It should be a positive mm -hmm. uh, outcomes that we are trying to deliver in the finance uh, finance function. So 18 to 24 months out, if nothing else, we need to have defined what is that positive contribution 
that the office of a CFO is going to leave on the company and perhaps even the wider uh, society. And how are we going to do that? Start taking steps in that direction. And it shouldn't be, you know, three, five year plan. It should be, okay, what are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do a week from now? We're going to do a month from now. Let's set those small micro steps so we can start moving in that direction. Because otherwise, if it's something that's supposed to happen two to three years from now, you know, a big new ERP implementation, people have seen those three, four times already, right? And they know, yeah, well, it's probably not going to happen or it's going to be delayed or it's going to be uh, faulty, whatever it might be, right? So oh, I, don't, I, I personally don't believe people have the appetite for that right <laughs> now. I mean, amongst everything that's going on, you know, I'm sure that it's happening. Um, but is it happening at the levels it was, you know, three years ago? I, I highly doubt because the complexity that's involved and, and, and to everything you've spoken about, in terms of those kind of micro steps that people need to make, um, I think, you know, one one thing I, I always generally visualize when I think of, um, you know, top performing companies and, and laggards, if you will, is the classic bell curve. Um, what do you think the key difference is specifically to ESG between someone who's leading the way on ESG and someone who's a bit more of a laggard on ESG? What's the, what's the kind of delta between the two? I really think it's the difference between being the reporter on ESG and being a value creator on ESG. And, you know, I, I used to work for Maersk, for instance, right? And uh, mm -hmm. that's one of the most polluting companies in the world, right? I mean, shipping is, is very polluting, but they, so, so it's, it's difficult to make a ESG case out of it, right? Because, you know, how are we going to be, become less polluting or even CO2 neutral, right? But, but it's still possible. So they go out and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to build some uh, vessels that are fueled by methanol. We don't know exactly what that looks like and how we're going to source the fuel, but we know we need to, to do this. Same time, it can't just be a cost, right? So we need to make some commercial products mm. that, that actually fit the space. So our customers willing to pay extra for CO2 neutral shipping versus the very, very polluting shipping. Um, and and they, they could have decided just to wait and see, you know, what comes out of regulators and what does competitors do. But they really just, we're going to take a leading role in making shipping less polluting. And here's how we're going to do it. And we've already ordered the vessels and here's how we're going to source the fuel. I mean, that's, I don't think they will ever be the, be the leading non-polluting company, right? But, but that's, that's taking a lead within your industry, doing as much as you practically can, recognizing that the world still needs shipping, right? Shipping is not, it's not going to go away and we're not going to have, you know, some sort of vessel that runs on, I don't know, solar powered energy completely within a reasonable time period, right? This is a good example of a company coming from a tough position from an ESG perspective, making a difference with what they're doing. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about that is they're coming at that from a corporate strategy perspective, right? It's not just some kind of, to your point, reporting initiative. It's, uh, it's risk mitigation, value creation, and also corporate strategy at the same time. And I think one of the other things that, you know, they're using innovation to, to drive that, right? The, the intention of the accountability that we're trying to create is, ac is actually working. And, uh, and then for, for those that don't know, you know, uh, ESG is, um, you know, from an impact perspective, it impacts public companies more. Um, so someone like Maersk uh, obviously has, has, you know, a public, public company. Um, 
but also in the value chain, they need to disclose all of this to people that are using them as a supplier. And so if they're public companies too, they need to drive down their CO2 gap. Uh, well, they don't have to, but they would probably want to uh, in terms of what they need to disclose. So ultimately the pressure that's coming from these regulatory forces are spurring that change, which is exciting to see, frankly. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I guess I, and probably it's it's naive, right? But I guess I just wish that that companies would be proactive on it rather than waiting for, you know, yeah. the push. Um, but but I think, you know, that's that's really the example, right? So I think uh, if, if we step a few years back, right, where ESG probably wasn't a big topic, you had the CSR movement, right? The corporate social responsibility. And that kind of just became a corporate, you know, flyer exercise where you had some policies and whatnot, but it never really became, this is what we do as a company, I think for most companies. And I think ESG with what we're seeing now, it's 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 leaping beyond that. It's, it's becoming a real thing. And of course the, the regulations and, 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 and whatever else that comes around it is pushing that. I don't think we saw much regulations around CSR, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's elements of ESG we probably won't cover today. Um, for example, like DEI and things like that, that's probably a whole other series of conversations that we could have uh, amongst uh, amongst ourselves. But how are the, how are, like we just talked then about the regulations making an impact, in, reactive impact or proactive impact. I think, you know, that always comes back to corporate strategy and why the business exists, right? Someone like Patagonia has always had, ESG at the heart of their business and someone like Maersk has probably not, you know, they were just like, originally, let's just be a great shipping company. Um, And, uh, but how are the regulations evolving right now? And and what, what should, you know, uh, employees think about their business as they feel those those regulations changing? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I I read a great report, I think it was from, from KPMD where they talked about how companies should really approach the way they want to report and disclose on on ESG topics. And what I really liked about that report is that they talked about risks and opportunities in relation to ESG. Mm -hmm. So I think any company, and especially also the office of the CFO, because they're typically involved in especially the risk part of it, but ideally also in the opportunity part of it, should look at their company and their business model and say, okay, you know, from a risk perspective, what are we facing? And from an opportunity perspective, what what are we getting, right? And then basically say, okay, well, what are the top five risks? What are the top five opportunities? How can we mitigate the risks and do the right thing? How can we maximize the the opportunity and drive value from it? And I'll give you I'll give you some examples of of uh, of uh, some some cases we've seen from different clients. So we have one client that uh, so typically we we do some learning programs for for companies, and then we ask the finance teams to solve cases. And one of the finance teams they uh, this is a company that does a lot of M&A, right? Mm-hmm. So ESG wasn't considered a part of the, the M&A process. It was only something that they did after the fact, once they started to integrate the companies that they had acquired. So we had this team looking at, okay, how can we create an ESG playbook for the M&A process so that we ensure we cover the different steps that we would anyway have to cover afterwards as we do the due diligence with mm-hmm. these uh, targets and perhaps even in the screening process, do we observe, find something that could give us issues or give us upsides in terms of our ESG strategy? So here the finance team is looking at, okay, if we don't capture the ESG part of it, it could potentially destroy value of the deal because we have to do a lot of 
uh, initiatives or mitigations afterwards. So let's look at that upfront. That was that was one example. And then you know a simpler example would be another company that has a lot of warehouses. And here they're basically looking at okay, can we put solar panels on top of the warehouses? So that's that's kind of like the base case. But then in you know every country kind of have their own way of subsidizing these kind of uh, arrangements, you know, whether it's solar energy or other energy, uh, green energy sources. So we had one team that basically built a simple financial model that based on the state you were in that country, because even the state had different, uh, different arrangements. So you could probably pick the state and then pick the size of the warehouse you intended to build. And it would tell you what would be the optimal size of the solar cell plant that you needed to, to build on top of the warehouse. Right. So that's, that's telling you upfront, okay, what would be the best investment case of actually putting these solar cells on top of the warehouse? And again, you know, did finance have to do that? Maybe, maybe not, but they did it. And it's just highlighting two great examples of how finance teams can already now apply themselves in a positive way in the ESG space, looking at the opportunities and the risk, of course, as they go through the, let's say, the disclosure requirements that they have, because they'll have to disclose this mm -hmm. later. Yeah, But why not use it as a positive opportunity and say, how can we as a company create value through ESG? And let's identify some cases to make that positive spin. Because, you know, the workforce today is probably more purpose-driven than ever, right? So this is something that despite being overworked, despite being stressed out by all the requirements hitting us, this is something that can fuel a positive energy, help us step outside that negative spiral and actually feel like, hey, we're making a difference, we're creating value, we're even making a positive difference in the world, you can say, right? So I think it would speak to a lot of finance professionals in the office of the CFO to look for these positive opportunities. And and that then, uh, in that example, right, that's probably a, likely a CapEx that then reduces OpEx, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so there's a whole other set of financial uh, considerations that you need to make around that investment effectively, investment in value, investment in creating value through ESG, but uh, it, it might actually create bottom line or top line value for you over time. Yeah. Um, the, I wanna come back to, you talked about that M&A uh, example, right? Where uh, this company heavily probably M&A involved and um, bringing that ESG from kind of post in a, an integration type exercise versus a due diligence exercise. How do companies like that now then model their investment thesis around ESG and, and stepping outside of just, you know, M&A specifically, what is the broader view of ESG as investors make investment decisions these days? No, I think it's 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 a fastly involved, uh, revolving, uh, evolving space. You could say, uh, you know, I, I don't follow it so much from the from the investor community side, right? But clearly, uh, a lot of institutional investors they have basically stepped out of black and stepped into green, right? Um, and and that in itself, you know, is when when the money moves, companies are forced to to move mm -hmm. as well, right? So going back to the example of Merck, if Merck had stayed as black as they were, they would probably be uh, seeing more and more investors deselect them. So less than, you know, that would hit the share price and, uh, you know, yeah. it would probably limit the opportunities in, in the future to, to do large scale uh, investments and, and, and warm and A, of course. Uh, so I think it's, it's making a difference. 
I, I just don't follow it closely enough in order to say how big of a difference is it making right now, but it's definitely helping us move in the right direction. I'd rather, from my point of view, at least I'd rather have ESG sort of driven by the money moving because then it's people doing the right thing than regulations forcing it to move, so to speak. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I don't follow it that closely either, but it'd be interesting to see, you know, I know there's a lot of green ETFs and kind of ESG related ETFs that, uh, I, I'm I'm sure if we went and looked at it, they're probably <laughs> starting to go and uh, you know get more money, more investment seen into them, and and probably performing pretty well vis-a-vis competition. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, and I think we, you know, Merck was one example. We also have another Danish company called Ostel. I know it doesn't really ring so so well for the international audience, but they they used to be in oil and natural gas in I think around. Uh, 2010-ish or so like like that and of course much further back and in a matter of five to seven years pretty much they uh they divested or stopped or shut down or whatever basically all their black activity except some some gas thing i think they have left right some power plants and went into the to the wind completely wind uh, wind energy and such a massive business transformation i think we're seeing companies going in that direction and, and us by all means you know they're still a, a very profitable company and one of the you know saluted green companies of the world right so i think i think there's definitely value there but of course it needs to be value creating without subsidies and without you know governments having to to stay in here and i think we're i think we're getting towards that inflection point you know in some parts of the world we're already there but of course we need to see large scale that these kind of green companies can stand on their own and be good business uh, business cases and i think i think we're getting there and that's uh, that that's really great to see right because that means money is going to flow even more in that direction because they need to you know uh, they need to to fulfill their green quotas or whatever it might be uh, so that's that's really good i'm sure there's there's lots of other examples like that out there where companies have either done i'm not saying merch are doing small things but it's not a complete green transformation sure, yeah because- or bigger things like us that's basically gone from black to green in a matter of less than 10 years. Yeah. And, and clearly not every company can do it in such a short space of time. I mean, that's a fantastic example, but uh, you know, not every company can, can pivot uh, as quickly. Right. Um, so I want to come back to something you said earlier, right. Around purpose and, uh, and connect that to what you talked about around, you know, disclosing this information. Right. Um I actually think one of the bigger elements of ESG is shifting the communication model, right? Not just disclosure, right? Which is, hey, I need to report on something, but but true comms, right? True external investor, um, you know, public communications. Um, when you think about purpose and, and the communication of ESG and, and how a company is evolving, um, those two examples you just talked about, Maersk, probably more on the disclosure side and, uh, and, and the company, I, I forget the name, but they transferred to windmills, right? Um, probably two different levels of communication about what their strategy is, how they're going about it and what they're doing. So typically not the office of the CFO's greatest skill set, uh, <laughs> if we're being honest, right? Corporate strategy being one, but communication of com- corporate strategy generally left to others. Who else should be involved in ESG from that perspective and, and aligning it, therefore, to purpose and communication and, and the value creation externally for an organization? 
I mean, I, I know it's going to sound like a, like, like a, I don't know if you call it a weak answer, but I think everyone should be yeah. involved, right? It's, it's a business-wide initiative. It's kind of like on the IT side, right? That cybersecurity is not an IT issue anymore, right? It's a company-wide initiative. Kind of like talent, right? It's not just an HR thing. It's a company-wide initiative. And I think there are, you know, touching upon these three issues, and I wrote an article series about it last year as well, saying these are three topics where the office of the CFO needs to step in and say, hey, let's get proactive about this and say, how do we as a company create value under these constraints that we have, but seeing it as an opportunity to either transform the company or, or go in a slightly different direction. So I think it's, it, it's, it's everyone. You, you cannot uh, say, hey, you know, ESG, that's for comms and uh, some uh, safety department, whatever. And you cannot. Right? Yeah. Everyone sort of needs to, to look at the risks and opportunities, whatever they work with, even they work with sales, right? So I, I mentioned Maersk as well, like they have a commercial product called Maersk Eco, which basically says, okay, you know, you're selling on a vessel that sails on greener fuels than, than the others. If you buy this product, you can get a certificate that says, hey, you sailed actually on green so that you can fill, fulfill the quotas that you have that you also mentioned, uh, Rowan. Um, so when you're a salesperson, you're going out there and say, okay, it's probably easiest just to sell the normal stuff, but I need to think about ESG and everything I do so that I can take this Maersk Eco product with me in the back and, and sell it maybe a little bit harder than some of the mm -hmm. probably standard easy products, right? So for everyone needs to be, be involved in this. It's not limited to, you know, just a few people in the company. Well, either that or it becomes a differentiator for you versus your competition who may not be in that position. Um, you know, a sale, salespeople love differentiators, right? <laughs> um, and if you can walk in and say, look, you may not be looking at this product right now, but in future you may have requirements and you want to be contracted with a vendor that can fulfill those quickly and easily. Here's our offering. At least it helps you in that kind of vendor selection process. Absolutely. I think the the other, um, I 100% agree that it's everyone, right? I think that ESG, it's not just a finance uh, element or a executive leadership team or even the board, right? Needing to drive that. And coming back to something that you said at the very start, right? The, the accountability um, standards have changed in the world. And employees are driving a lot of that as well. So, you know, companies at the top are feeling this pressure from their employees to be more purpose-driven, to be more accountable and, and to make a real world impact. And I think employees often feel like companies aren't doing enough yeah. and companies are sitting there going, we're just trying to, you know, grow or turn a profit or like, you know, we don't need all this extra burden. So how can finance help the business um, in doing that SWOT analysis? Like what specific examples may you have around a finance team saying, actually, we know this is really important. Um, we need to take a stand, but how are we going to help the executive team uh, communicate that through a financial model, which is a lot of how decisions are made? Yeah, and, and it, you know, it's, it's really about looking for those opportunities to create value through ESG, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it's, uh, it's still, at least for me, early days on that, right? I, I see very, very few finance teams taking that approach, right? But, but some of the cases I, I mentioned before, you can clearly see the, the fact that the company has a big ESG focus, 
means that now the finance folks, they are also thinking about, okay, you know, what kind of ESG cases could we look at? And some of the ones I highlighted are just, you know, some of the bigger ones that actually, let's say, made it through a pipeline of specific cases need to solve. But when they bring up examples doing some of the programs that we run with them, a lot of them are ESG related, right? So it's really looking to couple the ESG bit with the value creation bit. If we succeed on that, I think we will see a massive traction on ESG. If we don't, well, it's another CSR waiting for you, right? It's just not going to get the traction you want because if businesses cannot be profitable while living up to the ESG standards of the world, there's a there's a paradoxical disconnect that we yeah. need to solve, right? I, I think the other thing is um, you, you just talked about, you know, people are going through these exercises and then at the end, they're realizing that there's an ESG impact, right? Um, one of the things that I, I really think people should start to do is um, just having the awareness that there's an ESG dimension to everything. And if you start up front, recognizing that one of your assumptions could be, can this create value through ESG as just something that you should ask yourself through every SWOT analysis or opportunity analysis you're doing, it won't be at the end. You'll use that as a, maybe a, a, an earlier business driver of your model and and ultimately that might get lead you to a different outcome than you would have if you never had that assumption or that intention at the start. No, absolutely. It, it's 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 the the example of the ESG playbook for MA, right? You're moving it to the front of the discussion. So it's actually factored into your decision making rather than an after the fact thing we need to we need to figure out, right? And um I, I really just think we're we're at the starting line for, for all of this. And I'm really looking forward to seeing which I'm also going to be pushing through my own channels, how finance teams are, are getting involved in this, taking a proactive approach, identifying the opportunities and highlighting, hey, you know, this is where finance got involved and actually drove, you know, decisions towards creating value with ESG, right? And I, I really want to dedicate the next year or two to really highlighting as many of these cases as possible because, you know, we, we just have to do it. I, th I don't think there is an alternative. Well, I think that's a really opportune time for us to kind of segue here. Uh, I think, you know, my, my statement to the audience listening is, uh, Anders just said it, you know, we're at the starting line. Uh, how are you going to run the race and potentially win the race? And uh, if you're starting to think about it up front, uh, you're much likely to, to kind of have prepared and start thinking about how you're going to win that race uh, in the right way. So Anders, um, two questions for you. Uh, one, where can folks uh, find you and find uh, and, and find more about the Business Partnering Institute? And number two, is there any good um, resource material that you would uh, recommend folks to look at around ESG and, and, and what they should be thinking about? Yeah, so I, I and, and BDPI by, by default as well, can, we can always be found on LinkedIn, right? And we, yeah. we really push a lot of uh, content, not just ESG, but a lot of other, other content as well around how is the office of the CFO really, uh, really evolving? And I think that's, you know, just a great place to be to get uh, fresh perspectives on uh, lots of different things, right? You know, we're not the only ones putting out perspectives, but it's, uh, yeah, that's that's basically where you can uh, where you can find us. Um, so so definitely go go look for us on on, on LinkedIn. Um, in terms of uh, of great reads, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot about ESG out there, but I think. 
one place to look. I mentioned this this KPMG uh, report before. So they they basically came out with a publication called Sustainability Reporting Proposals for General and Climate Related Requirements back in uh, in 2022, where of course they talk a lot about technicalities in terms of how to live up to these requirements. But that's also where they basically have this model that says, okay, you know, thinking about the reporting we need to do, what are the potential disclosure topics that we could be reporting about? Where do we see significant opportunities and risks? And then basically uh, from that, we will then report on what's material. But before we get to the reporting part, it's really about, okay, once we know the opportunities and risks, what do we then, what do we do from there? So I think this is, that's a, that's a great report to, to probably look, uh, look into, but I'm sure there's, you know, tons of other stuff out there and it can be kind of difficult to, uh, to separate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, just throw it into chat GBT and I'm sure you'll get a bunch of information. Um, <laughs> So, Anders, uh, thank you very much. Really appreciated this conversation. I certainly learnt a lot. I hope the listeners do and uh, look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks a lot for having me, Robin. It was a true pleasure. Thanks, Anders. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for stopping by.